0: You're listening to DevOps and Docker Talk, and I'm your host, Brett Fisher. I'm a DevOps dude, a course creator, and an open source maintainer in the world of container and cloud native DevOps. These episodes are edited down audio only versions of my YouTube live show that you can join every Thursday at brett.live. This podcast is made possible by my Patreon members. I'd like to thank all of you patrons for your continued support it means a lot. Your podcast player should have the show notes for this episode, including links to the original show on YouTube, topics or tools we might discuss, how to support this show with Patreon, and links to get discount coupons on all my courses. You can always get those notes and links at brettfisher.com. In this episode, I'm joined by Matt Williams of Infra, a new company taking on simplifying centralized Infrastructure User Authentication and Permissions. Their tool is called Infra and it's open source and quite easy to get started with. Matt does a great job of explaining the pain points of Kubernetes user management. And in the YouTube show, link in the show notes, we go through several demos of getting started with adding Infra to your Kubernetes clusters and then creating users and groups from the Infra dashboard. The company Infra started with solving the Kubernetes user management problem, and they're now bringing that simplicity to other infrastructure like SSH, AWS, and databases. I found this tool to be simple to use, kind of Docker-esque in being a no-brainer for teams that don't really have a centralized way to manage Kubernetes admins and permissions. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Matt Williams of Infra. Hello, my name is Brett. And today we're going to talk all about Kubernetes, specifically security around authentication, authorization, remote access. All right, let's get to it. Welcome so much to the show on Twitter, technovangelist in the real world, Matt Williams. Thank you for being here.
1: Hey there. Thanks so much for having me. This is so much fun. You know, I listen to you as a podcast every week. You know, our I I catch up on them as I walk my dog around the block and I'm listening to you. And in fact, last night, I think I was listening to the Portainer interview. And so it was great. Nice. Yeah, Portainer's great, as it probably was
0: very obvious on that show. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's great to have you on the show finally. And today we are here to talk about Infra and what that project is, what's going on there, and sort of like some of the history because we were talking and catching up before the show, some of the founders we've actually uh, talked about, I'm not sure if we've actually had a show on Infra, but it was years ago, but a lot of people that are gonna watch this don't realize that like we have serial inventors, serial co-founders with this app. So maybe give us a little history on Infra HQ and the company.
1: Yeah, so the company, I mean, there was a previous company that t- the two founders created, I don't know how long ago, it was a decade ago, when they were still students. When I was a student, I didn't do anything. But when these two kids were students, they created a little company called KiteMatic, and it became like the default way that anybody who was using Docker on their desktop It was just the way to use Docker on the desktop. It was amazing for finding, finding images to, to start up. And there was just nothing like it. And, and so that got sold off to Docker for an undisclosed amount. And then those two guys went working for Docker for a long time. They, at some point they left, they did other things, worked for other companies as well. And then the two of them came back together and said, let's, let's start playing around with this, this idea of a tool to help manage Kubernetes to, to touch all your clusters. And they created this app called infra.app and this is a really neat way of just looking at all the resources on your Kubernetes cluster without having to remember all the commands to run you know without having to know the Kube control command to run to get all my uh, replica sets or what all the other things and you can kind of uh, compare it to something like lens infra app was a little bit more specific a specific problem it was trying to solve whereas lens is like everything. And, but while they were building that, they had a number of discussions with customers, pe- people who are actually paying for the licenses and, and other people, other advisors that you really should look at, you know, you're looking at all the resources, but one of the things that's really hard about Kubernetes is just getting access. You know, this RBAC is a thing and, uh, you know, assigning roles that, that part's easy, but creating all those certificates that, that's kind of hard. And once you create that certificate, it's there forever until the expiration date. Can you deal with this problem? Yeah. And so the two guys started coming up with some ideas and ended up going to White Combinator winter 2021 to flesh out the idea and hire their first employees. And that's, yeah, what, that's about a year, year and a half ago. And then I joined in January. Both founders, Michael and Jeff had been reaching out to me while I was still at as a evangelist at Datadog. And as soon as they said, oh, they were the guys that created Kite Mad, it's like, oh my God, instant memory of how amazing that tool was. And then, you know, we're solving this problem. And this was, this happened to be at that exact moment that I was dealing with this problem at Datadog for some clusters I was doing, using for training. Because at Datadog, you know, I was the first, I was the first evangelist hired at Datadog really to kind of take the load off speaking load off of the CD CTO as they were expecting their first child and uh, human child. And, uh, <laughs> uh, um, and so I started doing those talks and then, and then I took on, you know, the first person to really focus on documentation and then created our training group and now, you know, each of those things is you know, many people. And, uh, but I was dealing with Kubernetes because Kubernetes, there were a number of courses that I created about Kubernetes in the Datadog learning center. And just dealing with certificates and dealing with users and roles was hard. And I was pulling my hair out and, and then these guys come along and say, we're solving this problem. And it was at just the right time for me to say, great. I want to join a small team <laughs> and here I am. Yeah. And I, it's, it's amazing being, you know, seeing DataDog go from 40 people to, I don't know, three, yeah. 3,000, 3, 4,000. And now, oh, now wow, being able to do the same thing with, with infra at, we're about 10 people now. Nice. Well, Datadog is maybe not
0: every episode, but I do mention Datadog a lot. It is sort of a, I don't know, I feel like it's definitely an 800 pound gorilla now where a lot of us, like if you were the first evangelist back in the day, like I I was using them over, I was using them like a decade ago, very early days, because they had this concept of almost ephemeral infrastructure was sort of innate to their ideas around monitoring. And so many of the tools a decade ago assumed that your infrastructure was long running. So it was very tedious to add new yeah. things and set up them, set them all up properly in the monitoring consoles and all that stuff. Right. Yeah. And I liked how they were meant for a cloud era and they were early on. In fact, they've been a sponsor of this show before, years in the back yeah. in the past. So, and yeah, that's really I, cool. That well, you have I remember.
1: That. Yeah. I remember when I first spoke at AWS reInvent, you know, I've spoken every year. Well, I think this is a year is going to be my first time not speaking. And uh, the first time there were three, 400 people in the room. I said, how many of you have heard of Datadog? And it was a very different time because out of two or 300 people, only six people raised their hands, have even heard of Datadog. Right. Um, right. It was before the days of the massive booths and the 10,000 shirts and event. Right, um, so yeah, wow, thousands of people—that's amazing. And yeah, and I've seen some of the acquisitions over the year. But we're not here
0: for Datadog, yeah. even though that's no, in our about blood. About yeah, we're both—it's in our blood. So it's something I still—I think—run the three free nodes or whatever on one of my clusters on uh, DigitalOcean or something. Four, yeah, you
1: know, with one day retention. Yeah, oh, yep. Sorry, I'm not Datadog anymore. <laughs> oh no, uh, stop that! I don't even know if that's still I, a thing. Every but... time it Datadog comes up, I keep saying we. We
0: do that. I mean, they do that. Right. Someday your brain will make the switch. So infra is, so we're early days, which is good. Like people can get in now, okay. check it out. You can sign up for early access. It's right now, I know it as an open source tool. So maybe can you tell me a little bit about that. Like yeah, is so that, the main thing I use.
1: Yeah, yeah. That button on the front page, on the home page that says sign up for access. That is talking about our cloud, infra cloud or whatever we'll call it. The SaaS offering where we host your server, the server that's Controls is, is the authoritative source of all your users and groups and role assignments. We can host that or you can host it yourself within your own Kubernetes cluster. And so if you go to the GitHub repo, that's where that is. And so t- installing for a server on your, you know, if you want to use on the Kubernetes that's in Docker, you want to tr- flip that switch for Kubernetes in Docker desktop, you can use that or you can use it on kind or minikube or micro Kubernetes or Rancher or any Kubernetes on, you know, any of the managed Kubernetes on, you know, all of the clouds. If you've got a cluster, you can install it there. So that's totally doable. And, and it takes seconds. It takes seconds to install. And basically all it is, is running a helm command to install it. And you do have to provide it some values for that initial setup. If you're going to set it up on your own Kubernetes cluster.
0: So yeah, okay. There- there is some basic auth stuff built in. You've talked about the problem a little bit right. about managing certificates, managing users. One of the things that I like to explain to people is that it's rare when you get into Kubernetes to ever have just one cluster. Like you're gonna have, you're, you're always gonna end up with multiple clusters, even in the smallest right. situation, cause you're gonna want like a test and then at least production right. or something like that, right? So you've got multiple clusters yep. and these clusters don't know about each other. So is that one of right. the areas that Infra can help with?
1: That's definitely one area where we can help, but really the core piece is around creating users. So when you spin up a new Kubernetes cluster, let's say you've got, you know, whether it's your Docker desktop Kubernetes, or it's you're using EKS or AKS or some other managed Kubernetes. I've been using Sivo a lot. I've been using DigitalOcean a lot. And so you spin one of these things up and the first thing that, that, well, one of the, the, if you want to interact with your Kubernetes cluster, It provides you a coop config file. And so you download that coop config file. That's really a config file that you put in your .coop directory. And that config file defines the cluster that you can connect to. So it has an endpoint that you're going to be able to connect to along with the certificate. It includes a certificate that represents you as a user. And it has a context. And that context basically just links the cluster to the user. So you've got... That's what's in your kubeconfig file. And that is what defines you as being somebody who is authorized to log into this, to this cluster, that kubeconfig file that gets created is for cluster admin and that cluster admin can do anything they want on this cluster. If you want to create a pod or start up a pod, great. You can do that. Yeah. Deployment, no problem. Easy, easy, easy to do. And if you want to drop a node. Hey, you can do that. You want to delete the whole uh, cluster? Hey, no problem. You can do it because right. you are a cluster admin. You can do anything you want. And so one of the things that a lot of people do, especially if they don't really know enough about, I mean, knowing about Kubernetes is hard. I mean, you've got a great course on that and it's not a course that you can take in two hours because it doesn't take right. two hours to learn everything there is about Kubernetes. It's a really hard thing. And Dealing with users is also really hard. And so, but a lot of people just kind of skip over that and they want to give their buddy a uh, access to this new cluster. They just take that kubeconfig file and send it over to them. Which right. now means we got two cluster admins. They look the same. Yeah. If there's any logs that are created, cluster admin did something. Which one of you, or you know, let's not say it's not just one friend, but a thousand friends, it's cluster admin. It's the same user that does everything. So that's bad, but also if that cluster admin, the certificate that's inside there probably has a expiration date of a year from now, 10 years from now, and now that certificate, as long as you've got that file, as long as you've got that certificate, you have access to that cluster for the, until the expiration of that certificate. And in Kubernetes, there's no way to revoke those certificates. All you can do is, assign it to a role that has no power but but you don't really want to do that with your cluster admin so it's so that's a bad idea you don't ever want to share that file with other people you want to have it just as a you know like a break glass kind of access so what do you do well you can create a user but creating a user well there's a lot of problems with creating user because users don't really exist in kubernetes everything in kubernetes is a resource there are resources defined for a pod and a deployment and a resource replica set and certificates and secrets i mean all those are resources there is no resource for a user there is a resource for a certificate and that is what a user is it's just a certificate with a it's like a friendly name on a certificate creating that certificate is hard because you need to create the certificate and then you need to get it signed by the certificate authority inside the cluster. Now there's a lot of examples and tutorials online that'll say, okay, no problem. Just SSH into the control plane, download the ca.crt file from that server, and then you can sign it locally. And that's really easy, except if you've got any sort of managed Kubernetes, they're not letting you SSH into their control plane. So you can't download that certificate file. So you need to have another way. Now there's, it's definitely doable using Kube Control to sign that certificate. And so what you have to do is you have to run a, an open SSL command to generate that certificate. You can do that on your local machine. And then you're going to do a, create a certificate signing request, and you do also do that on your machine. And then you put that inside a YAML file and apply that. You're going to base 64 encode that, and then put that in the YAML file and then apply it to your cluster. And then you can run a Kube control command CSR approve or accept or something like that, that will si- then sign that certificate signing request. And then you have to do uh, another Kube control command to get that certificate and download it to your local machine. And then you gotta create the Kube config file, but there isn't really a command to create the base Kube config file with your cluster information. So you're gonna basically gonna take yours that has cluster admin, get rid of all the extra stuff, copy that file. And then there's a Kube control set credentials and set context command that you're going to run. And that will generate the Kube config file for this one user, this new user. And then you got to ship that file off to the user. But remember those certificates, they have an expiration date. And as long as the, we're before the expiration date, that is still a valid way. You know, you can, anybody who has a file can log in as you. And there is right. no revoking that certificate,
0: and you're passing that thing around, right? Funny is you you just said like, yeah, and you gotta send this thing around. And I'm thinking,
1: and how would I do how? that securely? And how would I manage right. a dozen people securely? And so some people, one one thing I've seen is some people will put like a an FTP server or SFTP server to, to that has all the files, and you log in and you can and see you, everybody's. And yeah. It's like, oh, who do I want to clone today? Who, who do yeah. I want to be today? which is also a bad idea, but you're passing out on this file, but then you wanna make sure that that certificate only lasts for let's say 10 minutes, five five or 10 minutes. So now you need to redistribute that file every five to 10 minutes. Oh, that's a pain. Yeah. <laughs> and yes. that's of course the end user has to collect that file and put it in the
0: right place. Put it in the right place, know, know all the commands. Yeah. And well, this kind of reminds me of like, this is the origin story of Kubernetes, right? It's an API that might have some command line tooling to have raw or direct access to that API. We all know that as kubectl or Kube Control or however you want to say it. And that's why there's all this innovation spawning off as all these other projects is usually yeah. people, they settle on a set of tools. And this basically is the summary of the show, trying to help people figure out the set of tools they need to not just manage Kubernetes, but the other growing parts of the cloud native ecosystem. Yeah. And yeah. so it's an interesting problem where you, if you're starting out the Kubernetes, down the Kubernetes path, courses like mine don't help you solve that that authentication problem because a lot of times yeah. we don't we need to know a lot more about you and your team and yeah. the, the security requirements and the practices and all that before we can say okay yeah. this is definitely the thing you need or you know you're gonna you, you only need this level of effort. It's kind of like when I have the secrets right. conversation with people. It's a very the seems very yeah. similar to that where. Well, if you don't have vault yet, maybe we can g- keep you from avoiding that. You know, you don't have to deploy your own vault. Maybe you can do right. sealed secrets for a while. Maybe you can figure out if your cloud, if you want to use your cloud secrets and it feels very the consulting answer, right? It depends, but it seems like the minute you want to add a second person to any business cluster outside of your own little demo world and home lab, you need a tool like this. That's what it sounds like to me yeah. that it's yeah. a, it's almost like I have. I some sort of management GUI for my cluster, which most people like to have at least something basic like that for basic sure. GUI management. And then I also need a roles and authorization and authentication tool that helps me manage that. In fact, we have a question just asking about explaining Kubernetes IAM roles for service accounts and any best practices surrounding it. it we didn't go into the internal resources of Kubernetes when you are explaining all that, but I feel like one of the best practices here is don't do everything you just said.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that and service accounts are a different thing. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm just talking about the, anything that's outside of the cluster that needs to get access into it. So the humans, not the user. robots. Yeah. Well, it could be a robot that lives outside the cluster. And so you've got your CICD pipeline that needs to push resources into the cluster that can use an identity created by infra or, you know, that whole mess of commands I mentioned, just like a user can, but service accounts are different because that's, we don't tackle that problem. Right. Right. And I that's mean, m- it's not really that much of a problem. That's pretty easy to do, deal with. My experience with service accounts is
0: usually they're handled for me by the helm charts of yeah. the tools that I'm deploying. So if I'm deploying, sure. even in my courses, I think people use sh pod, it's a utility that allows you to get an easy remote access to the cluster. If you don't have, it's not all, it doesn't create users or anything like infra does, it just simply says, Hey, I'm going to give you a shell with some tools that has access to the API, regardless of where you are. It might not be on your local machine or whatever. And even that tool, it has to have service account and, and that's how it gets into, it has okay. how it authorizes itself. But what I love how you're defining here, this is a, this is really about external tools outside right. that need to talk to the API. Right, And they're not in a pod. They're not doing things in a pod.
1: Right. Okay. Right. right. You mentioned, you know, Kube, some people pronounce it as Kube control and Kube CTL. And what else is there? There's ctl Kube control. There's probably another one. One of my favorite pronunciations that I've ever heard yeah. is a different one. And it was from a former colleague at another company who, who hasn't really, was just learning about Kubernetes. And he sees this command and he says, oh, obviously that's Kubectl. I love it.
0: We're going to bring it. So, we're going to make it. We're going to make it to the new standard. Cubectel. The new official Kubectl. Okay. Um, I, yeah. I think I struggle sometimes yeah. on the cube versus cube, cube or yeah. cube. Oh yeah. It's a subtle little cube. difference in pronunciation, but yeah. Hell, yeah. I mean, we
1: all don't even yeah. agree on this, how to say Kubernetes. So no. So it's, it's no wonder. No. I don't think, I mean, we can uh, agree on the right pronunciation. But going back to data is it data or data dog? Mm. And apparently one story I heard was that if you were at a a formative age and you paid attention to Star Trek Next Generation, when you were like 13, 14 years old, 15 or, you know, in your teens, and you were watching Star Trek Next Next Generation, and it was Commander Data, not Commander Data. Mm. and, And so that's how you've... And other people. That's how you remember that's an inch. I've not heard that one. Well, it's
0: like I I saw my courses on Udemy and Udemy like, oh yeah, yeah. (laughs) So yeah, it's, it's, these are all made up words on the internet. So unless you're in the language that they're not made up and then the rest of us are just having to learn how to say it. real quick question. We're talking about OAuth and OIDC. How does it work with OIDC?
1: Kubernetes, yeah. So Kubernetes itself, does it support OIDC directly? I don't know if Kubernetes itself does, but there are plenty of tools like Infra. We will let you connect to your OIDC providers, such as an Okta or Google authentication or Azure Active Directory, or just a generic OIDC provider. We let you work with that. I believe Alt-Zero might also have a direct integration with for OIDC to Kubernetes and some of the other, there's some other providers as well that offer that kind of integration. But that is, we we offer that as an option sometimes, you know, uh, for, you know, when you're first evaluating infra, the person who is creating the Kubernetes cluster might not be the same person who manages the OIDC infrastructure. And so getting those two things connected means getting two people to talk who might not like each other, I don't know, who might not be uh, talking much. So it it requires a little bit of coordination to get those two things working together because you need, you know, if I want to set up with Okta, I have to get some, a secret and a client ID and a bunch of other things that's only available inside of that, the console for Okta and the same thing for Azure and all the others. So you need to be able to, if you have access to that, then yes, setting up that provider. Yeah. So we totally work with OIDC.
0: Yeah, right now, I wanted to point out, actually, this was, I thought a really interesting list, it kind of, it's almost like this is the roadmap. It feels like (laughs) Yeah, we've got the the basic underlying tooling and now we're going to just connect all the things.
1: Right. Yeah. And that you'll be seeing some of, some of those things showing up pretty soon. We really want to be, it's not just a Kubernetes tool for the first, you know, a year and a half of our existence, as we're building out the server, we're building out the first connector, which is Kubernetes. But we're also going to have connectors for a lot of these other solutions, Postgres and SSH and IAM with AWS. And, you know, because I remember hearing from one of the investors in in Infra and he was talking about, you know, what was the story that resonated with him? Why did he choose to invest in Infra? And he, you know, previous job, he was working with AWS and he wanted to add a new user to to the AWS account and be able to create resources on AWS. And so he's a pretty smart guy, really smart guy. And he's going through the IAM instructions. I said, okay, I need to do this, this, and this. Okay. I think I've got this all figured out. I've spent a whole day. I don't want to bother my IT guy. I'm going to figure this out and get this user set up. And then I'll show him the results and it'll all be good. I'll like apologize later. And so he builds, sets up this IAM role for this user. The user gets started doing all these things. And then he hands off this role configuration to the ops guy and says, oh, Here, here's what I did. Just let you know, just keep you informed. Here's what I did, and that's all good, right? And the ops guy looks at it for like a second, like, no, you've just done you know, huge amount of damage by giving this guy full <laughs> access to all these things. Well, how can you be such an idiot to, to do this stuff? Because I mean, none of I mean, all of these things are complicated. Roles in users and roles in Kubernetes is hard. IAM in AWS is hard. SSH, dealing with SSH keys and, you know, do you have a separate one for each machine that you connect to and for each machine you connect from? That's hard. It's just, I mean, maybe that's not super hard, but it's complicated. And you need to, you need some opinionated, answer to what is the way to do this stuff. And so we're going to try to take care of all those things.
0: Yeah. And usually each one of these problems. So like, it's almost like we deal with the SSH problem separately than the IAM problem separately than the database, you know, admin problem. Like they end up with their own tools, their own workflows and sort of esoteric settings that you have to know. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You've got these 10 for 10 resources, 10, 10 services that you're connecting to. You've got 10 silos of information about users and access. And then when that person leaves, that contractor leaves the company or leaves that project. When I left Datadog, when, uh, you know, everybody leaves companies at some point, whether they're fired or leave on their own, how long does it take to go to each of those 10 silos and remove all access for that user? Sometimes, sometimes it takes for some things, some of the most obvious things. It happens instantly. I lost access to the GitHub repos for Datadog, right away. I mean, I might have lost it before I even left the company. But some other resources, I've had to reach out to Datadog. Hey, uh, I still have access here. So can you remove me? And uh, you know, I'm sure this type of stuff happens with every company, where you know, offboarding is almost almost harder than onboarding. At least with onboarding, yeah. so there's somebody reminding you, I need access. Offboarding is just as hard. How do you do this? And so if we've got this one silo for all this. Inf- one place for all this information and instantly we can remove access for that user from all the things that solves a huge problem for a lot of companies. Yeah. Well, okay. So Kubernetes first,
0: but coming soon. I like the fact that I would like SSH is one of those challenges for me too, where it, unless you buy some proprietary solution, usually a very legacy sort of solution, you end up having to come up with a lot of your own tooling for that. And it does kind of slip through, you know, like we, we care about the VPNs and the big things, but it's those little things like, is every, is there a certificate revoked at every server? Is there, yeah. you know, which Kube, Kube files have they downloaded of which clusters? Right. <laughs> like, right? There's right. a lot of that. That's tough. I mean, tracking yeah, I mean, downloading AMI's, of files SSH. is
1: nearly impossible. So... I mean, I don't know if I'm supposed. I've got this one SSH private key. Am I supposed to use that for my AWS EC2 instances and my GitHub and my like? I'm not really right. sure if I'm supposed to do that. Right. Nobody's told me not to, so I guess it's okay. Right. So the work you you were talking about the workflow before. I yeah I listed out a whole bunch of things that you need to do. There is another way of doing all the certificate creation and signing in all in one command. And so there's a guy named Brendan Burns who created, he was one of the former, you know, the, one of the three founders members of Kubernetes, you know, original creators of Kubernetes he's gone on to be a corporate vice president at Microsoft. So it's pretty important now. He's still doing updates to this script. It's it's on his GitHub page or GitHub repo. And it's called something like add user ish. And so that will go through all the commands that are necessary to create the certificate, sign those certificates, download the file and spit out a kube config file. So Mm -hmm. that's great, but it still doesn't deal with that file distribution piece. That's still up to you to, to solve. And that's or revocation. That's probably the hardest part. (laughs) Hey there, podcast listener. At this point in the live show,
0: which this podcast comes from, we do a pretty detailed demo getting into a lot of the features and it didn't necessarily make sense to put this in an audio only podcast. So if you're interested more in the tool and how it functions, check out a link in the show note that will take you to the YouTube live that this comes from. And then you can get the full demo there. We're now going to jump back into the conversation after we're done with most of that demo. You add me to groups. This is all happening automatically. Like that was actually unexpected for me to have to not do like an infra refresh Or something like that in order to see the new the new kubernetes context i read somewhere i thought on your documentation that what we're talking about is a cloud hosted copy of infra that you're Mm -hmm. providing
1: and there's an option for self-hosted is that right sure okay and it will do exactly the same thing the the user experience for whether it's self-hosted in your own cluster or the we host the server is exactly the same there's no difference there any difference that no, there's no difference, um, other than there's less exactly work than same. <laughs> there's a little bit less work. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So a few other things that are interesting here on providers, I've set up my integration with my Okta provider, but if I click connect provider, I can add Google or Okta. And all I have to do for Okta is, you know, give it a name that's optional. Yeah. It doesn't really matter what that is. And then the domain is going to be, you know, what is the, the Okta domain? There's a client ID and a client secret. And all of those things you're going to see when you're setting up the app in Okta, how to do this. And then there's enable skim. And when you do that, there's actually one more bit of information you have to exchange between infra and Okta or Azure or Google. And then as soon as you turn on, let's say you don't turn on skim. If I add, I have a thousand users inside of Okta and I set up my Okta integration, I'm not going to see those users show up in infra until those users start logging in to infra. As soon as they do, it's kind of just in time created inside of infra. If I turn on skim, which is this standard for, it stands for something, it's the standard for identity management. And then as soon as I add a user, as long as you add the app inside of Okta for all users, then as soon as I add a user into Okta, it will just show up, not just in time, but it'll show up right away inside of Infra, which is really cool. We have a question, is it GitOps
0: compatible? I mean, can I set the permissions in a declarative way? That's a
1: interesting workflow. So there's a number of ways you can create users. If you wanna have all your users being local, then you can use, when you use the Helm chart, There's um, in the values file, you can just list out all your users and what groups they should belong to and what roles they should be assigned to. And so you can do that inside of Helm. We have, I think there's a, there might be a Terraform provider coming at some point soon, and so you could just find it there too. You can also use the, there's a full, from the command line, um, the command line that you now have installed, there is, you can do uh, infra users add and then give it uh, an email address. And also you can set everything there. So you can do it all from, you want to script it out. And every time a user gets added, that can be added. One thing I did a couple of weeks ago, I went into Zapier and used our API with Zapier to create a bunch of the building block is for creating Zaps. Zaps And then made it so that, yeah, you go into the Zapier platform to create this. And then I set it up so that rather than my authoritative source of users being Okta, I made it a Google Spreadsheet. Or anything else that works with Zapier. And as soon as a user gets added, uh, an email address gets added to Google Docs, Sheet. then yeah. it just shows up in infra. And I did the same thing with a Slack, a Slack bot. As soon as I said, I think I'd use the word slash incident in Slack, it said, okay, well, what users do you want to escalate? And I entered the names of the users. And right away, those users had admin access to the clusters that are were relevant. And that was kind of a demo yeah. It took me like I don't know, an hour to figure out Slack bots and, you know, 20 minutes to plug it in. Yeah. And that, that kind of makes so.
0: sense too about your, you're talking about the helm chart. That's it actually kind of makes sense because if I'm usually defining that, like if I've got standard stuff that all my clusters are operating with standard operators and controllers and all the different sort of non-optional pods and daemon sets and whatnot, if I'm yeah. doing that GitOps and I'm doing all that already in a repo... And you're saying that basically, because this is a Helm chart template, we can add stuff to that template or add values to that template yeah. for what that cluster that's running that template specifically is going to implement, yeah. rather than having like an infra GitOps repo that's just infra YAML, which would, this is more, I think, almost like a decentralized approach because there might be, if you have, a larger team where you have multiple groups and each group's cluster maybe has a different repo if you're using Git permissions as a way to control access, then that I like that approach of not adding yet another tool on top of it. I'm just using my home template, so that's pretty cool. So I'm going to summarize real quick for the people that are listening to this in the audio. We just did a real nice demo of the workflow for Matt creating. He had an Infra account on their SaaS platform. He invited me as a new user. I got a nice email. I went and created my account, like the, the typical workflow. And then I downloaded the tool locally on my machine and was able to change my context with Cube Control or any of the context switching tools that you might use. And, and immediately, as he set permissions for different clusters for me in his infra instance, if that, that's the right word I'm using there, his infra mm-hmm. instance, then I was able to see that and instantly get results he could control me down to the namespace level. And it gave us a nice set of pre what I'll call or canned roles that are sort of the typical view only. It feels like blog roles, actually, like it's like view only, right? Admin, super admin, you know, that kind of thing you might have for like a WordPress or something like that. So it's nice to see the complexity of Kubernetes sort of dumbed down to what typical teams really only need. We really need, and being able to just choose the namespaces as well is a nice option, especially if you're doing like multi-dev clusters or multi-deployment clusters, where you want one namespace for a certain team and a different namespace for another team. That's actually one of those problems that a lot of people don't know they need a solution for until they start having it. And they realize, oh, I have a bunch of different teams to serve and get their apps into production, but I don't want them stepping on each other's toes, but I also... I'm not fully GitOps yet, so I haven't put everything in repos and I need them to be able to talk to a cluster directly. That's a problem that a lot of people, they end up going down a rabbit hole of trying to find a bunch yeah. of solutions for, and this is kind of like a one-stop shop, single command line for it. So I like it. Yeah. It's very, it feels very docker one Docker-y, thing you said- Very Docker yeah. workflow. One yeah. thing
1: you said is that the roles look kind of maybe dumbed down. So, that, you know, easy to, easy to digest and easy to understand what all those roles are. And one thing that's worth saying is that the roles that we have a choice of selecting from. There's, if you were looking at it, you would see there's cluster admin, and then there's admin, edit, view, and then there's a few others. So for those first four, those are provided by Kubernetes. Mm-hmm. They're in out of the box. I don't know that term fits, but yeah, they're, as soon as you install Kubernetes, those four roles, along with 30 other roles are all inside of, inside your cluster. All those other roles are system roles and, and not really, rel- not something you're going to assign to a user. Okay. But those four are always going to be there. And then as soon as you install the connector, we also add exec and port forward and logs mm. to be able to read and stream logs. And exec is for running a shell to a running container and port forward to access applications using port forward. Those are the ones that we provide by default. But you could have, if you have, you know, 10 roles that you've created and you want to make sure that those 10 roles show up inside this list, all you have to do is there's a, in the documentation, it shows you exactly what to do, but there's basically one attribute that you need to add to the role. Oh, if you want to show up and that will then show up in this list. Nice. Nice. Uh, Interesting related
0: question. What resources does infra create in a cluster? Or does it store everything in a database? I'm assuming we're talking about the connector. So so there is a
1: connector that installs and a lot of the information that's stored in infra is actually, there's a, I believe there's a second, a container that's spun up, that's a Postgres. And so a lot of that stuff is Mm. stored in a Postgres database. This is on the server. So on the server side, you install, there's a server piece. And then there is also the Postgres database that gets installed to your cluster. Or if you're using infra cloud, the SaaS service to come soon, then we store it in our Postgres database.
0: Nice. Yeah. So, well, this has been great. Actually, this is the kind of tool where I feel like it, you know, as if I'm someone who's building out sort of my default tool list for what I'm going to use, like I'm an Argo person for continuous deployment. I like the Argo GitOps model there. You know, I like Pertainer. I like the GUI of that. I also like the the default dashboard, obviously. A lot of people use Rancher. There's these dashboards. But then we all sort of have, we start to create our little toolkit of like, if we're a cloud admin or a cluster admin, I guess on Kubernetes, if you're that person, you're probably got your own preferences for logging and monitoring and a lot of these other tools that you're going to need to add to a lot of your clusters, especially if you're self-hosting. And this feels like that kind of tool that just needs to go on that list. Like I always want to use this because I may, even though I think I create a cluster today and I'm the only one that cares about it, the minute you create a cluster, if you work in a team, (laughs) it's days or weeks later, you're going to need to add someone to it, unless it's just a temporary thing on your local machine. So it seems like a sort of a belongs in the default set of tools that we all implement. And and this
1: works also in a... Uh, my home lab, you know, at home, maybe not everyone at home has a Kubernetes cluster, but I do. I mean, I have right. my 2011 Mac mini that's running Proxmox has got a bunch of clusters running on there and a cluster that's on my Docker desktop and another one that's up on SIBO and some other places. And so, and I've got to connect to all those things and just dealing with coop config file management is such a pain for me. And every time I okay, I got to add another cluster. Now, how do I merge that in? So let's find the command and copy paste it and paste it wrong and figure out why, what I messed up. It's a pain. And so yeah. I, I mean, just for me, I feel like they created this tool for me and you might like it too.
0: Yeah. Very nice. So. And so, pe- so the early it's early access beta kind of thing right now, right? So for, people can sign up
1: for the SAS version for, mm. if you want us to host your server, that is the early access beta. So you put your name on there and we reach out to you as we go through things for hosting yourself, go to the GitHub repo, try it out. If you have any problems, create an issue in GitHub. We do all our development live in public, anything that we find that is missing in the repo or in the product, we're adding to the issues in that public repo. There's not a secret repo where we do most of the work. Right. That is the repo we're working from. And so if you've got an idea and I mean, do a PR and we'd love to have your contributions as well, it's, it's a great, yeah, great little
0: project. And I'm going to put this one as not really a question, but the last, it's kind of a question we're using Rancher currently for Kubernetes IAM. The issue I'm having with it is also adds a lot of bloatware in my opinion to the cluster. Well, that is true. Like if you're fully deploying Rancher, the GUI with all of its other parts in order to just manage users. That does seem like a lot of extra stuff because it does so much more. And this yeah. seems like a more appropriate, keep it
1: lean and simple kind of
0: tool. Yeah. I agree. I agree with yeah, that. That's super light. Yeah.
1: And some of the area, some of the things that are going to be coming in the future, you know, the question always comes up, okay, well, how are you going to stay in business? And so all of that comes from at a future date charging for, or maybe for we're going to do auditing. So. When you know, you've know you got all these users that are accessing the system, who's doing what, being able to figure out who's doing what and when they did it, all that audit stuff ha- is something that we're going to do. And auditing might also include, well, who actually, you know before installing infra, who actually has access to the cluster today or which users exist on the, and what kind of access do they have? There are some tools that do some of that, but they're often hard to work with. So yeah. we want to try to make it that as easy as possible as well. Right. So those are some of the things that are coming soon. And by adding your name to that list, we're just going to notify you about. Oh, all okay. the things that are okay. All right. I'm putting my name in
0: that list. But the, uh, the thing I like here is that you and I have probably, we, we've both had long enough careers that if it's not secure by default and if it's not easy by default, especially when it comes to security, people don't tend to do it like a lot. And a lot of times, yeah. even Tesla has been caught on the internet, not doing it. So there's, <laughs> you know, there's something to say about like the default cl- toolkit is a safe and secure model that doesn't give everyone the same, all permissions cluster admin role. And like all these sort of right. things that are the thing we all do until we find a way to solve the problem. And it feels you're right. Like it feels right. like a very almost no brainer kind of approach to say, Hey, look, this is easy. It's yep. one pod it's low, you know, it's low maintenance and it'll keep you f- from getting in trouble and doing, having bad behaviors, because I think that our, all of our behaviors, like people learn from us. So you're the one that's doing that kind of approach in, in your office and you're passing around certificate files. That's how everyone else is thinking it's supposed to be done. So they will also create those habits. So, well, Matt, thanks so much for being here. This has been fun and I'm a sucker for easy tools that solve a pain point. And I feel like this is exactly what you all are doing. So thanks again. So well, good luck with that. And everyone sign up for Infra oh. if you're interested. The URL is all below. All the links are below. Everything is in the description. Where can people find you in the, in the I, internet? I get it. So you're on Twitter. I'm on Twitter below. You're a tech evangelist yeah. everywhere. Like it seems like you've owned that on the
1: internet. So yeah, a friend of mine recommend, It said, oh, you should use the, the title tech evangelist. And this was like, I don't know, 25 years ago, in, when I was an analyst for an analyst firm in New York City back in the 90s, said, you should buy that domain. And I did. And I'm now everywhere. But, oh, and also recently on Mastodon. Yeah. Uh, so, take yeah. advantage there too.
0: That's the new thing. If you're following along with That's the, the, the new community thing. on Twitter, yeah. is well, it's not new, but we all have a stronger reason now to move over. I have yeah. not taken the plunge. And I feel like I've been following Scott Hanselman's stuff and him Mm. talking about stuff. And now I have the choice of like, which server I want to be on. But so Scott
1: and I were the experts in an Ask the Experts booth long ago when he was before he joined Microsoft, when he worked for like a, I don't know, a payment processor, I think in Portland, Oregon. And and so I was a Microsoft employee and he was brought, you know, so we were the the experts. Uh, Oh, wow. That's the first time I met him. Yeah,
0: very cool. Long time ago. I had seen him speak in lightning talks before he worked for Microsoft way back in the day when people would say, hey, you should go see this guy. He's funny when he talks. He used to be a comedian. Yeah. It was like 15 years ago, but yeah. Yeah. All right. So we're going to see you around the internet. Thanks y'all. We'll see you soon. All right. Thanks a lot. This is fun. Thanks so much for listening and I'll see you in the next episode.